Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today I'm joined by Andy. Welcome. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> and Bill, which uh, should make it pretty clear we're back for, to do another Wasp chat. And where we had reached in the Wasp discography, um, we're going to start off with, what was it? First Blood, Last Cuts, which was a compilation. What I thought at the time was going to be a career ending compilation i didn't it, the way it was spun didn't make it feel like it was being sold as a look back at the first chapter of wasp's history it almost seemed like it was a bookend to wasp period since uh chris had left the band uh crimson had done its thing and had kind of disappeared and i remember i was back in the united kingdom by then living in scotland and i saw it in a record store and just bought the cassette because it had two new songs on it and that really is kind of the everything about it there yeah there are some remixes of other songs and whatnot uh, but it came with two new songs sunset and babylon and rock and roll to death and in terms of both of those new songs i really dug rock and roll to death didn't like sunset and babylon so much um or in, in that it not that i didn't like it it just didn't do much for me it didn't blow me away but i enjoyed what had been selected as the you know the track list to represent the rest of um kind of their history so andy what were your thoughts on um first blood last cuts well you know i, I was still you just say still there you know what i mean still still around i knew they were still around i knew they're playing you know, I saw the Crimson Idol had came around, saw the tour and all that. So knew they're still around and stuff. So, uh, you know, the this would be what yeah, their very first kind of greatest hits album, right? Would you call it? Did you have the live, the first live raw, you know, raw? But you know, it's not really a thing. But uh, you know, when I got it, you know, you always have that thing up and down. You know, are they are they mess? Are they going to mess with these CD at the time? Now, now we moved on to CDs. There wasn't even an album anymore. Uh, at that point, right? Albums were pretty much gone now, right? By then, 1990, what is it, 5, 93? Yeah, even yeah. even in Europe, I don't remember seeing vinyl for it. That doesn't mean that there wasn't, but I only remember seeing the CD and not being able to afford the price point of that and ending up with the cassette. And, and the cassettes, too. Yeah, they still had uh, cassettes out, uh, but the CD. And actually, it's kind of funny, just uh, just to show everybody. So for all of, I know there's a ton of Wasp fans. He's been, I'm on some of the Wasp things, man. And some of those people, man, especially overseas, because they get a lot more than we even do here in the States. It's like reverse with them, with Wasp. And uh, they're, for, for the completest, there are actually two cassettes in, in a way. I mean, it's the same songs and stuff, but everybody likes those those hype stickers. And by then, too, they had that, you know, the parental, you know, the guidance, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's going to say dirty words on it, whatever. You know what I mean? But then actually, <laughs> they actually did another one, you know, saying that basically the record company, it's hard to read. You know, you know, I am getting a little bit older, but <laughs> but it says like, you know, Capitol Records will do anything to sell this CD <laughs> stuff to retail from stop. You know, if you wanted to buy this when you were that age, you're like, hey, I want to buy this. Oh, you can't buy this because you're underage. Eh, wrong. <laughs> <Basically>, that, <laughs> 
Yes. Capital's basically saying, screw you. We're gonna, <laughs> they can't stop you from buying this. So that was pretty cool. So for the completists, there are actually two cassette tapes with two hype things on it. And then, of course, you know, the CD, you know. And uh, the CD is actually really nice. He, they did a, you know, he or Lockie, I guess, whoever's in company, they did a he, they did a super huge, long, you know, insert. And they actually represented everybody to the point that was in the band, which was pretty, pretty cool. You know what I mean? And that's the way it should be. <laughs> that's nice. It, it's very long. It's kind of funny. And, you know, and it does it on both sides. And it's, you know, it's a couple extra more blacking on it, of course. But, I mean, they do. You know, they tell everything and they go through the history and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I know the Wasp people out there like can't see this if they're not watching the podcast and just, just listening. But, you know, this thing's like two two feet, three feet long <laughs> on both sides. And, you know, so I think they did, you know, a really, really good job on it. And they even, oh, what they put there? Actually, I was just listening to the album before we guys came on. You know, and they actually did a pretty good, you know, job on the that. scene. Yep. You know, with the blood around. It's supposed to look like a little saw in a way with a little blood going around. So I thought, you know, pretty cool, you know. For as the remix stuff, you know, you always get, again, you always get that weird kind of vibe about, oh, my God, what is this going to sound like compared to the original stuff? You know, I always you hear that little bit of dinner. But, you know, the first, what, six, the first six songs actually are remixed. Well, the first six or five are actually remixed, you know. Animal, Love Machine. Love Machine, I Want to Be Somebody, On Your Knees. Um, I, I can't even see that. You know, I Don't Need No Doctor. You know, and then they go back to, you know, the real me, the headless children. You know, Mean Man, you know, they stick on track. You know, they went back, they stick with the original thing. So, but I, actually, I thought they were pretty good for remixes. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, this is really awful. It's not like the inside of Sonic Booms, the remix, you know, the Kiss ones. <laughs> you know, what's like that. <laughs> but, uh. I really, like Jillian said, I really loved Rock and Roll to Death. Even though that King song came out in 93, that song reminded me of like the 80s in a way, you know? You know, just having a good time, long hair banging, you know, having a couple of drinks and Rock and Roll to Death, you know, or Pass the Bullets, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, you know, we can't hear you. You're, you're muted. Yeah, it was basically, it was basically a new I Want to Be Somebody. You know, uh, in terms of up tempo, good time rock and roll song, not not filthy but sleazy enough. Agreed, perfect. And core, and I, I don't know who played the actual guitar on that, but I know I had understood that Lita Ford did the other song. So Lita Ford, you know, they did that video for he did that video Babylon and song, but I, I'm pretty sure they had said it was Lita Ford at the time. She had done the uh, solo, so I don't, you know, the guitar, so I don't know if she did it to, for Rock and Roll to Death. Don't know. Hmm. Bill, when this came out in 93, I mean, you, you had to play catch-up, I think, for Crimson. So were you kind of out of the picture by then with this collection? Uh, do you have any thoughts on it? I, I was definitely distracted. Um, I was in my own band because I was 23 at the time. I was born in 70. And, uh, you know, I was in a band and it was a, a matter of it was probably the most serious that I'd ever taken with a band. We were actually just like tunnel vision. We were writing, we were rehearsing five days a week, you know, probably playing one to two gigs a month. And, you know, actually at the end of 93, we ended up recording an album. And uh, if you want to PM me, that's, I, I can set you up with that. But uh, 
I kind of had tunnel vision where kind of like after the, the grunge thing started hitting, I just really just started focusing on my own music. And I don't really even recall this being released. And uh, so, I mean, I was just basically immersed in that own, my own band. And if there was a point that we were, if there was a point I was listening to music, I was listening to practice tapes from the night before or something like that. So I spent like a year and a half of just solid, just being immersed in Freezer Burn. That was the name of the band. And uh, and I just kind of, t- I probably looked at it and said, oh, it's a greatest hits thing. I got all this stuff. I didn't think about it being remixed. And the, the my first son was born in October of 93. So I'm not exactly sure when this came out. But that put a huge, you know, wrench on my uh, frivolous spending, uh, having kids showing up in the house and all that stuff. So uh, I'll go ahead and say it now that I probably went two and a half years without even buying a new CD. So buying a greatest hits package probably wasn't on the radar at all. Uh, I can remember like the first new CD that I got after that period was Carnival Souls. (laughs) And so I, I was really... You know, and I think I got it for Christmas from my brother. So I wasn't buying anything. If I was picking up something at a yard sale or something like that, I had a buddy of mine who, you know, he gave me greatest kiss when it came out because it was an extra in his Columbia house or whatever. But I didn't buy anything. And I don't think that the two tracks were enough to encourage me to buy a greatest hits package, especially when I had everything up to that point. But now I got a question about rock and roll death. Because uh, I have a I have a, a digital copy of the album, and I, I'm not sure of the title of it because I just kind of like put it on the Bluetooth speaker and just let it roll. And I know it's listed on All Music as "Rock and Roll to Death." Is this the song that sounds like Johnny Be Good? I, I <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, as much as "Kisses I Just Wanna" sounds like "Summertime Blues." Okay, because I think it's listed on in my digital track. It's listed as something different. It may just be rock and roll death or something like oh, that. Oh no, it, it, it's it's certainly like an updated fifties, you know, scorcher. So I mean, and, if you if you think of Judas Priest doing Johnny Be Good, well, this is Blackie Lawless uh, rewriting Johnny Be Good to a certain extent. And, and that is, and I actually, when I went, we're going to get to the, the best and least favorites later. I'd actually written that down, but then I got listening to it today, and it's like. You know, it's just these guys doing. I was into the '50s music growing up, anyway. So I got listening to it more and more today, and it's like, why the hell did I write that down as a least favorite? But yeah, I mean, that that was the only track off of this is new too that I heard, and I just heard them, you know, in the past five months. So, but it, you know, it was a cool track. Yeah. So you know that that was uh, first blood, last cuts, um, and you know. I, again, I kind of had checked out after that point. I wasn't following them. Uh, being in the UK, Crimson had been bludgeoned to death. So they fall, fell off my radar. I wasn't buying rock magazines. Uh, November 95, I got a job in a factory in Port Glasgow. Um, real fun, getting electrocuted every other computer on the assembly line. Um, so it came as a shock when I went in to I, I gotta check the name of this one because came of a shock because you were getting electrocuted every other computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> at, at, at 220 volts as well. So. Oh, so, so I used to drive down into Glasgow uh, to go record hunting. And, you know, there were a bunch of record stores. There were, you know, the current ones. And there, underneath Glasgow Central Station, it was always really cool. I always loved walking down under the, the station where I think there were like eight tracks above your head. And there are stores and it's very colorful. But you get down there to Oswald Street and there was missing records or missing, yeah, missing records or something like that. And it was one of the first record stores that I discovered in Glasgow um, when I moved there. And it was nearby to the markets, the barras, where you could buy a lot of bootleg shit as well. So it was very convenient in terms of where you were location-wise. So I walk in there one day, and up on the wall is the picture disc for the, um, the black, I think it was Black Forever. And it's just, it's the bird off the cover shaped picture disc. The one behind me, I guess, would be a better one than trying to hold up the freaking uh, CD with this uh, this technology blanking everything. And I was like, what the hell is that? It just grabbed my attention. Many things in my musical life have come as a result of just grabbing my attention, flipping through uh, records in stores in Binghamton when I was 14 and just seeing the Angel cover. I'm like, oh, I'm buying that. You know, stuff like that's what has often led me to discover really cool music that's, you know, stayed with me to this day. And I took that down. I'm like, whoa, what's this? He said, oh, there's an album too, mate. I can't do a Scottish accent anymore. Um, But he pointed me out to the CD, which had been released that fall. So it was still new in the UK. So I'm like, wow, a new Wasp album. Cool cover. I'm like, I'm buying it. It's Wasp. You know, even though they hadn't been on my radar and they'd fallen off my radar, I was excited that there was a new Wasp album um, to buy, and I couldn't wait to get it home. I mean, I hadn't been that excited. I mean, I also found five Kiss singles that day, so it was it was a really good day at, uh, <laughs> in Glasgow for the uh, well, what do they used to call me, English wanker, something like that. Um, Andy, uh, what was your? When did you find out about the album? Had Wasp dropped off your radar in the states? Because I don't know what the music magazine scene was and how you were how you kept up with stuff at that point. Oh, we're we're going we're still, we're going into the still black enough. Oh yeah, let's go. All right. Well, let it, let Bill talk for about ten seconds. I'll be right back. Just you guys talk. I'll be right back. That's oh, good because I only got ten seconds of stuff to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, so as as you just said, you weren't buying CDs because you were buying diapers, and you know right. a, a man's got to prioritize on what a man's got to prioritize. So your your first interaction was still not black enough. Was it for this show, or did you catch up yes. with them years later? Yeah, it was for this show because I, you know, I and I loved the band, and I, you know, loved getting involved with the show, and I actually liked the the later stuff that I've heard, but still not black enough was just completely off my radar totally and uh and you know i managed to i'm glad that i got the download as cheap as i got it because i was looking at the record today and the record well either the vinyl or the cd ranges between 150 and 600 dollars to own this record those are amazon prices i was i was just totally blown away it's like good god there's no way i'm gonna go buy this record 
I mean, maybe if I can score a CD of it or something like that. But yeah, the the, the vinyl. <laughs> Did you go change your oil real quick or what? Yep, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it. it. Was like you know, there was one Amazon ad that said five hundred and seventy-two dollars for the vinyl. I'm like, no way. And that's not that it's not a great album. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, it's just not a $500 great album. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Andy. I haven't found that yet. <laughs> With Black Forever, baby. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have a little fun just today. You know? You're going to tell them about the video after, right, Joe? So, anyways, I, I, you know, it was like they were on tour, then the greatest hits came out, and then they, like, disappeared. You know, and there's that there's that there's that uh, uh, thing with Blackie on overseas TV saying basically, you know, Wasp is done. You know, they were all done. It was all over. Uh, but but I never even saw that at the time, you know, because back then, I mean, I don't even know what again. We went to this. When did the net come out? When did the internet come out? When did YouTube come out? When did all this stuff come out? Uh, you know, even though it was a Wasp band, they just like disappeared off the radar. They just basically they disappeared. Or Blackie disappeared and stuff. And then uh, actually one day I was over at another friend's house and he had the CD and he's playing. And I'm like, what the hell is that? I know Blackie's voice. And I'm like, what the hell is that? He goes, it's a new Wasp CD. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a new Wasp CD. I didn't hear nothing. I see nothing. And all of a sudden he goes, look, man, it's like an import. I'm like, what? He goes, I went to this place called Jellies. This is this, this record. It's not even a record. It's all like uh, DVD stuff. I mean, they, they, these people have zillions, zillions, of, I mean, millions of DVDs and CDs and stuff. And he picked it up there and said, man, look at this thing, man. And I'm like, look at it going, are you kidding me? When did this come out? <laughs> it well, was like, you know, Andy, if you think about it, this almost mimics the way I found Crimson Idol because I've got the English issue of it before the Capitol Records version came out. But go ahead. Hmm. I knew Crimson Idol was coming out because it was actually a newspaper, uh, not newspaper, but like the magazines. But this is almost the same thing. It just happened to you that, you know, you had to get the import before you could get the U.S. copy. But but still still not black enough, didn't even have anything. There was no, and I, ne I never personally saw anything. I never saw anything on, if anything was on TV or a magazine. Right. It was just like, and technically I think it was supposed to be a Blackie Lawless solo album. And then supposedly there was an interview. Like I said, it was on an interview. He supposedly was supposed to be a Blackie Lawless, basically solo album. But the, the people, the fans were sending them letters and complaining. Oh, man, I can't believe you're going to quit. Yada, yada, you got to do it. You gotta, and then they end up turning around and slapping the Wasp, uh, you know, logo on and stuff. And, you know, uh, how far are we getting into it? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's almost like kind of like a Crimson Idol. The leftovers off of Crimson Idol, mixed in with some cover tunes, you know. So that's how I really I found out another friend had it. He had bought it at a store, and he just one day I was over there, and he's like, "Hey man, look at this." He starts playing. It's a Wasp album. I'm like, "Look at that!" Go the cover. I'm going, "This is really a Wasp album." He goes to his voice and stuff like that, and then I was like, "Shit, I gotta get a copy." But as Bill was saying, man, getting copies of stuff is ridiculous. The Wasp stuff is. Just as expensive or more expensive than like buying kiss stuff. 
I mean, CDs, they want, I mean, even like a still black enough CD, they want, they want like 50 and 60 and $70 for a CD. It's like, really? <laughs> and that's like, you know, back to Crimson Idol. I think that I paid like 23 to $25 for that CD when CDs were just starting to come down because when they first came out, you know, they were like $18 a piece, but they were getting like under that $15 threshold. But to go buy an import, you know, you were still paying to get it, you know, get it across the pond. So you were paying $25, $30 for an import CD. And that's one thing that you had to, you know, put in your budget. And there, like I had said before, there was no way that was going to happen with me at that point in time. I mean, you still, I look now here and yeah, just to, you know, everybody does, I, I would imagine, look at prices and stuff, man. It's uh, They still want a fortune for for. It's still black enough and anything really to watch stuff is really, really expensive. If you're yeah. looking, for it, that's why I said I've been, you know, you know, go to like, you know, flea markets, yard sales, whatever it is. I keep poke here and there, man. I, I you know, I've gotten lucky, you know, I keep posting them on my page, man. I've get, been getting lucky here and there. Going to some record shops. Oh my God, a record shop. That's even amazing itself. You know, finding record shops around, you might have to travel a little bit to go get there, but you know, I've, I've, I've found about, three or four wasp, you know, 45s, you know, like picture disc ones or just things. And I'm like, man, I'm going to grab them, man. They weren't even that expensive. But, you know, trying to buy something off eBay or just in jail, forget it. Yeah. It's just, to, to me, man, no way. I, well, we put this on Facebook. I'll post that Amazon link to that $500 copy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, what is it, $500 for the album? For the LP on vinyl. Wow. And now, it and like it's $500. Or somebody did a bootleg, or, or like. I, oh. I doubt it. A lot of LPs have gone up in price to crazy money in Amazon. Yeah, and that's the thing is, with this was probably such a limited release. So you know, you have the limited release plus you have made maybe it was only as an import or something like that, and that just stacks it up higher. Yeah. So first impressions, Andy. You know, go, go, you kind of alluded <laughs> to, you know, your first impressions was it was leftovers from Crimson Idol. What were your first impressions? Did you go out and get it for yourself soon afterwards, or did you wait for it to be released in America, which was, I think, 10 months after it came out everywhere else in the world? It did get released here. Um, well, I think, I think, like I said, my friend, when he got it, I think he got it as the import when it came, was the import, you know? And so I never got it because the person, they only had one copy. So they had the copy, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And this place would be the only place at the time that I probably could get it, but you never know if they were going to get it or not. So it was a crap shot, and I never got it. And so it didn't really see it what, to the United States until, what, was it August? Or, yeah, in August yeah, of 96. August 96, nearly a year after it came out in Japan. And uh, what, what was it, October 95 that it had come out in Europe? So that's a long time. Uh, but going yeah. back to when you did finally get a copy for yourself, what were your, your general first impressions of the album in general? You know, how did you kind of gauge it um, as being worthy of the Wasp name or comparing it to Crimson Idol as you did? Uh, it, you know, some it, it kind of sounds, some of the songs, you know, it sounds like they're like, Stuff they didn't make it on the Crimson Idol, so you know, you know that's that's what I think. Some of the songs that didn't make it on the Crimson Idol because you still had, you know, you still had uh, uh, Bob playing guitar and you had Frankie playing the drums. So, like, to me, like kind of like leftovers. That, that has that sound of kind of like leftovers with, you know, again with some copies of hits. 
But then, then you find out there's two different versions of the CD or album, right? Three. <laughs> I know it's actually four if you include the pirate Russian issue that's got 15 tracks. And let, so, you know, that, that's, that's a, a good segue into a brief description of the, the albums. And, you know, the first version obviously is the Japanese, which had 11 tracks. Um, still not black enough, somebody to love. Obviously, a Jefferson Airplane cover. Black Forever, Scared to Death. Goodbye, America. Tie Your Mother Down. A Queen cover. Uh, keep Holding On. Rock and Roll to Death. Breathe. I Can't. And no way out of here. Uh, the European version, which I got, had ten tracks because they wouldn't dare put a Wasp cover of Queen on an album being released in the UK. Um, bless their hearts. Bless their little <laughs> hearts. Um, so, so that wasn't on there. Uh, the American version had 13 tracks, so for once, America came out on top in terms of material. Um, and you didn't get Breathe, you were lucky, uh, but you did get One Tribe, Whole Lot of Rosie, and Skinwalker added to, to those. And then the 15-track tr um, <laughs> pirate issue has uh, Breathe on it, as well as uh, the other B-side from a single, yeah, there were actually singles released in the UK for this. Uh, long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. So he did two covers from ACDC in 95 for this album. So th that's basically your versions. And again, there, there were two versions of, I think it was Black Forever good, slash Goodbye America that were released as singles in the UK. One of them um, was a promo. Another one, I think, had uh, just those two tracks no uh, had skinwalker and one tribe and then the other version of the cd single had the two acdc songs as the cover so jeez that's a that's a lot of stuff and i didn't know i had completely forgotten about a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll that's up on youtube oh. if you want to hear it i did grab a copy of that today to throw in my folder with this file that's nuts i just <laughs> I, I don't i don't really get it you know, I, I know bands cover other bands. You know, Kiss has done it, and this has done it, and that's this beat's done it. It's okay if you do, like, maybe one on an album, but, man, when you, you know, you start doing two, three, four, five, you're like, no. You know, sorry, no. <laughs> that's my answer. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah two, two from the same band as well for one album cycle is a little bit excessive, you know, and two ACDC covers of that. And he's so talented, you know, Blackie's so talented of writing and all this stuff. You don't think they could even he could have they could, he could have came up with something even cheesy. Yeah. All right. Well, you let's know, move, move into Bill's know. first impression, since Bill, your impression, your first impressions are the newest of all of us. So they're going to be fresh <laughs> in your mind. What was your overall first impression on hearing Still Not Black Enough compared with everything else we've been revisiting out for these Wasp podcasts? Well, I was along with Andy on the first couple listens. It's like, OK, well, this sounds like Crimson Idol Leftovers. But uh, there's actually one that sounded almost like a uh, uh, see. I think it's No Way Out. No Way Out kind of sounded like a uh, Headless Children leftover. And uh, the the first and this, and that's the thing is I had these fifty dollar earbuds I bought off of some audiophile site, and that was the first time I listened to them with these. It's like, oh, this is going to sound primo. Blackie's guitar sucks. <laughs> on this album 
it is it sounds like uh i've been messing you know when we were in quarantine and all that stuff and i was laid off i pulled around with you know trying to record some of these quarantine tracks like people had been doing and i'd taken my guitar amp and not to get too techy about it i ran out of the preamp directly into my board and it sounded exactly like blackie's guitar tracks there wasn't no oomph to the guitar i mean it was just sound it just sounded like buzzy and then when you got to the leads you heard these crisp clean bob kulik solos because if you guys remember back to uh, crimson idol i said that bob's work didn't seem that definitive on that album but man when you think about you know bob's previous works and what he's done on this album th i think this is the quintessential bob kulik solo work and when he's ripping he is ripping some shit i mean it is killer stuff but when you hear you know when you're hearing blackie because it's like like that is the guitar lick and had they done a better production you know just even amplifying you know and granted it is 1995 you know speaker emulators are so much more now than they were then uh but it just sounded it didn't sound dreadful you know, it didn't sound like white noise or something like that, but it, it you could tell it didn't really sound like a guitar either. It almost sounded kind of synthy. But, uh, you know, that was my first thing. It's like, okay, okay the guitars are, are terrible from, from Blackie's point of view, but then you've got Bob, you know, Bob just puts the icing on the cake and smooths everything down. But then uh, as far as, like, the drums went, and that's the one thing that's missing on this. I'm skip. I'm going to hold off on the drums. But it seems like any bass action is really missing because where you had with Crimson Idol and uh, uh, Headless Children, Johnny Rod was on fire. But there, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of bass work. It's just kind of like being a second rhythm guitar and there's nothing really definitive. But then now let's bring in the drums. I think that when Frankie and much respect to Frankie. He's a talented musician. I'm finding out more and more stuff that he played on. And, you know, it's brilliant work. And I appreciate everything he's ever done. May he rest in peace. I think that when he walked into the studio, he picked up the Keith Moon card. Because everywhere there is a drum fill, there can be, there is a drum fill. I mean, it's just like every time that Blackie stops singing, it's... It just seems like he's overfilling everything. And that, it, it does give you a bit of a who vibe to it, and uh, which is great. But then, you know, it just it seemed like a little bit of overkill. I, I'd rather have Frankie sound like Frankie, which would be more like those first two Quiet Riot albums, or actually even the first three, and then, or uh, Headless Children, because I think that's the definitive Frankie Benali work. But he, it just seemed like he was really overplaying through everything. And the first few listens, I was kind of like, okay, well, this is all right. It's not dreadful, but it's okay. But I took a break. I come back and listen to it today. And it's like, this might be one of my top three favorite Wasp albums. It's just that much of a change because the songwriting is fantastic. 
And uh, yeah, we'll get to the least favorites in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I just it might be one of my top three favorites. Yeah, th- th- thank you very much for mentioning that you thought this might be a quintessential Bob album, because for me, this is the quintessential Bob album. And that's, I think, something that I do like about Blackie's guitars being kind of a buzz, is that it sets a very consistent bed just for Bob to rip and fly. Um, so I, I, I think the, the criticism of Blackie is a positive and a negative, you know, and those guitars. Well, I And looking back, obviously, Crimson took a while to catch up on for me. I prefer the Sonics overall of this album to Crimson which I find a little bit high on the trebly end. Um, so I, I find some of those things that are criticisms and are, are totally valid criticisms to be what makes me enjoy it more in terms of listening. And you've also touched on I, the songwriting uh, in, well, in some, some cases. One thing, I spectacular. one thing I didn't follow up on is these, these very expensive earbuds I listened through. They're really kind of crap for listening to music. They don't have, they don't have like a bottom end. And like, if you get too much bottom end in them, they'll actually distort. So it really sounded atrocious the first time I was listening. I changed headphones and, you know, had something with a little more of a round sound to it. And playing it through the right speakers made all the difference. Yeah. But uh, these things are exceptional for podcasting, but they're doing kind of crap for listening to music. But I'll let you go on. All right. Uh, moving. It feels more of the pro on this stuff on the music side because. You know, I don't know squat, but but I do agree with Bill on that part of it. Like, it doesn't have the punch to it in a way sometimes. I don't know. Maybe that Bill was trying to say it doesn't have that punch. Right? You don't hear the bass as much. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, it sounds like if you turn it up too much, it kind of gets distorted. I don't know. It, it's, you know, it's not. It's not even. You know, it's probably. Like Bill said, it's one of his top, but it made no way. I mean, Bob, Bob and Frankie do an awesome job. Bob is, you know, Bob is spectacular on the Crimson Idol. Some of those solos that he's done in the Crimson Idol are just unbelievable. But he said, you know, his work is just, his work is really, really good. <laughs> and I don't even think people realize that it's actually Bob Kulik and Frankie on the drums, you know? You know, Bob's doing a guitar and Frankie's. Ben Alley's on the drum, drums, man. I don't even think people even realize that. You know, maybe some people don't even will see this podcast and say, really? And they'll, you know, somehow get, get the CD or download it and check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, Frankie, his drumming, I, I don't think that it's spectacular on this album. I, I never have. It's always been about Bob's guitar and Blackie's songwriting for me. You know, if I want to listen to what I think is the quintessential um frankie banali drumming then it's metal health um because that was that was my first heavy metal album you know in 1983 along with all the lemmings that helped drive that to be the first heavy metal number one billboard album i was there i was a part of that scene i was one of those duran duran people who were going moving over (laughs) to the dark side of music uh at that time that to me is the frankie banali drum album but i also agree with you on uh, headless children so uh, andy back to you for you know you first heard this 25 years ago basically how how has it aged for you 
over all those years. Um, for me, it's one I listen to regularly and always have since getting it in 1995. So it's not one that has aged in any way. In some ways, it's timeless for me. What about for you? Uh, I think I mentioned it's not in my top five at all. I, I do like some of the songs. Again, I do not like when bands cover other bands. Like <laughs> one, one song is fine. They don't need to do it three, four, five times on one album. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. It's all in that way. But there are a couple of good songs on it. And I know there's a couple of songs that people are like going to go, ew, because they don't like the soft, soft songs. But man, you know, he can write pretty deep songs, though. <laughs> you know, But it's definitely, I don't know, it's in the middle of the pack for me with the Wasp albums. It's not up high and it's not the lowest, but it's somewhere in the middle. For me, basically, did it, like, did it rejuvenate you as a fan, though? You, you you found out about this album just by happenstance, a friend having it. So did you get to the point um, that you then tried to stay more current? Did you get online and find out about the next album and kind of keep up a little bit more with what was going on in Waspland or Wasp Nation, well, I, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think back. <laughs> That's kind of funny. You got to think back. When did you get the internet? You know what I mean? You got to think back. When did you When did you get online? You know, I know a lot of people would get online or have AOL. You know, <laughs> it was AOL. It was basically AOL, wasn't it? It was. Uh, I well, for me, I got online first in '93 with CompuServe, and then AOL oh, yeah, came out. Yeah. And well, I think I. All those, all those freak uh, discs to install from. So, uh, when did you, what do you remember about getting online, and what what was the music that you were searching for back then? Well, I think I was behind in the times, even though people had like the internet and stuff. I didn't really have that for us. It sounds really bizarre to me now, but I didn't really wasn't interested in getting online, and I could get. The funniest thing is the, where I worked, I could get online and I could look at stuff online, say like at lunch or whatever stuff like that. But when I was home in the early years, I didn't have the internet when most people had the internet. When I finally got AOL, I was probably two years behind everybody else. Going, You're going to get this thing called AOL and the CompuServe. And I'm like, why do I want to get online? I'm like, I don't know. If I'm, you know, it was very weird for me because I never really wanted to get online. And then finally, when I got online, it was AOL. You know, <laughs> bang, bang, bang. you yes. have mail. Look at all. They take forever to get online. You get online and you go to a couple of websites. And I don't even think Wasp even had any websites back then. Wasp Nation technically wasn't around. There was. I don't even. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wasn't surfing for Wasp when I first got online. So, I mean, I was in. And yeah. in, 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 it was all Kiss that back then. And yeah. Comp, CompuServe, you were paying for every page that you looked at at that point. So. <laughs> Uh, let's move on from that into some of your favorite tracks. I asked each of you to pick three favorite and three least favorite. Yeah, at least I know for, for a present, I will never buy Andy the 15 track version with all those covers on. Uh, <laughs> because I just, check that, that one off the list. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one we don't need to worry about. So, Bill, um, what were your three favorites from this? Uh I actually had uh, Goodbye America, which 
kind of that gives me quite a bit of the uh, headless children vibe. That was another one that, that you know it probably would have fit pretty well on headless children. And Black Forever, Black Forever might be the best single that Wasp has ever released. You know, it followed all the rules. It was hooky. It was under three minutes, three and a half minutes. And <laughs> I, I actually got to, I didn't see the video until today because you sent me a link. And even though it was a, a little too much of Blackie trying to act like Andy, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, it was a well done video and it just didn't seem to fit the song. But then again, if you think what, you know, you're putting uh, Black Forever up against like Lady Picture Show from the Stan Temple Pilots. I'm not even sure if that ever seen air on MTV. I know it's a VH1 video on the link, but uh, you know it probably didn't see a lot of airspace to where people would get to see it. But then the one that I I had I can't as one of the uh, favorites, and then I kind of scratched it. But I'll explain that when I get to my bad ones. And then I had uh, penciled in scared to death, and scared to death might be. It's a it's probably one of the best composed songs. Yeah, great. It's not a great wasp metal song, but it's so well composed with the background vocals going back and forth and uh, you know, just really well put together. It almost gives you kind of a uh, a Jim Steinman kind of feel to it. It's not necessarily as long and wordy as as a Steinman song, but it's written like one of his longer pop songs. And I really liked it. Uh, yeah. We're going to go to the fa- least favorites now, too. We'll go around before we get to the least okay, favorites. But, work. you know, that video, I, don't, I, I didn't see that until the YouTube era. And it's only, okay. you know, probably in the last decade that I, I recall seeing it. So, I mean, if you haven't seen it and you're like, whoa, there's a video, um, YouTube, Wasp, <laughs> Black Forever. Yeah, he for, looks bl- great in it. Black he does, Forever. He does an awesome job. Um, and and it's a really good video, visually are very artistic, and I think yeah. that's something that is overlooked with Blackie, that he's not just a saw blade cod piece wearing maniac. He's actually pretty deep, and that deepness was illustrated in the past week with Frankie Benali's death, because I don't know if either of you read Blackie's message about uh, Frankie, and that just reads as the inspiration for a new concept album touching on a lot of those emotions and everything that he said in that uh that message are just incredibly touching so um youtube wasp black forever video and you know you'll find it we don't need need a link for that andy uh what are some of your favorites on that and i guess your thoughts on the the video as well since you've obviously not been inspired by it in any way (laughs) i i I have to agree i never saw this video until way way later maybe he made the video much much later uh the video is cool but I don't like the video, but I do. I like the concept of it. I like how the whole black thing and the whole black paint and the whole black hair and it all good. But where's the rest of the band? Period. Again, here we go again. Man, you have Bob Kulik, you have Frankie, you know, did did Blackie play bass on it or did he have somebody else? Whoever, I don't care. Where's the rest of the band? I don't get this. I, I know, I understand. It's his thing now. It's his, his project, his Wasp thing. 
But the guys played on the album, man. We should have done the video with them all in black and stuff. Same concept, but they're all there. That's the, that's the only difference. Why can't they all be there? Because, I mean, I mean, imagine what I felt in, in the United Kingdom when I bought the the album. It had more photos and stuff in it, and every single photo was just a Blackie. And, I mean, even on the reissue, on the back cover, which you can't see, it's just Blackie. <laughs> but, so you should be happy that on, you, you just raved a few, well, at the beginning of this, when we're talking about First Blood, Last Cuts, you know, about the great spread that shocked you that had all these pictures. That's where the band is. He blew his, that's, he's not putting anyone else in his, his uh, packaging again. He did it all for that album, with the exception of Rick Fox, of course. <laughs> so, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, so that's the only issue I have with the video, and I'm, you know, and I like the video, I like the black, you know, the whole blackness and stuff. And by, and by then, right? It's, it's, it's '93. We're in the middle of the, whatever '96. We're in the middle of what kind of music we're in the middle of? Nothing, too, right? '96. You're, the grunge is, Weezer, you know, full, is it still kind of there? No, oh, whatever. So basically, <laughs> so, so, but, but, yeah, I know, but, so grunge was already starting to fall in 96, you know, and then, of course, the Kiss Reunion happened, so who else was in 96 that was started to either make a comeback or was huge at the time? You just said the Foo Fighters, were they, I mean, what else was happening? Nothing, really, right, at the time? So, I don't know, I, I Rage Against the Machine? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay, not yet really bad. Okay, yeah, I guess I guess it started being that kind of metal that hated cops, right? That was that that, that was that kind of generation. What was STP? Were they earlier? Because I, I never followed. Yeah, they. Them. Well, they were they were still pretty active in '96. Yeah. yeah. So so okay. So, so they were actually just starting to fall apart, to be honest. I think it was '98 or '99 was their last record before the split. Because they did the first three, and then they took a break, and they came back with the fourth one. So, so at least, at least I could say this thing for Blackie. At least he didn't follow the trend, right? He he didn't follow the trends. He didn't go for grunge kind of thing. He did he did his own thing, right? Which he's been doing for a while now. His own thing. It seems like he just doesn't care what people think. He's gonna do his, his own thing. So you gotta give him props for that. But, uh. So you wanted the top three. Yep. You're, this is kind of hard. You're, you're top three today. You know it's going to change the next yeah. time you listen. Yeah, I know. Sometimes it's tough, you know, depending on your mood and your how you are. But uh, I, I got to say, you know, Still Not Black Enough is up there. You know, just like he said, Goodbye America. But but still, was uh, well, we can, I guess you can't count Rock and Roll to Death because Rock and Roll to Death technically was on Greatest Hits, The Greatest Hits. I don't I know. Count it. <laughs> I, I do. You're gonna like. I do. It's like I do. Yeah, Julian didn't like it. I already know. It's that song, "Breathe." You know, it's actually. You know, actually, I played it at my wedding too. So I actually got. You know, he can write. I know they're more of a metal band, but he can write really good ballads too. He's got some killer ballads. So "Breathe" is really good ballad, and. I don't know. It's it's like I said. This one's a really tough one for the up and down. Really, like you said, today I like something way better than I like it tomorrow. 
So th- this album is kind of tough on me. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Um, since you played Breathe at Your Wedding, I won't say anything further about that oh, song, exactly. other than I do like, like it like, more than Keep Holding On. No, I'm not going to diss your wedding ever. That would not be oh. nice. Um, mine, mine are easy. Goodbye America, Black, uh, Black Forever. I mean, they they were the single. They um, in the UK, they're also really really good songs. And you know, Bill touched on kind of the, them being the best single and kind of reminiscent of that earlier rocking uh, wasp. Picking a third one is really difficult. Could easily go. Um, Still not black enough, but I think on my last listen that I completed right before coming on here, I Can't was jumping out at me as being a little bit of a, a different creature on this. I'm I'm not into the covers. I guess we can, uh, at the end of this, uh, talk about our favorite cover off this album. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, just to annoy Andy. We'll do that. That'll be the last yeah, question. Me. All right. Least favorite <laughs> three off the album. Bill. Uh, okay. I'm kind of... I lost my video for a minute. I mean, you guys can probably see me, but I, don't, I can't see you. Uh, then you're lucky. Okay. Now it's coming back on. <laughs> my TV sat, because I got hooked up to a TV and it sat so long, it just decided to shut off. <laughs> so that's, that's great. Uh, the, the least favorite, and I'm, and I'm going to apologize for this one up front. I did have rock and roll to death because I, I wrote that down before I listened to it like three times a day. And uh, and I actually titled it Blackie Be Good. Uh, ironically enough, the the two of the three that I don't like off the album are extra tracks on those other versions. One being One Tribe, and the other one being Skinwalker. But then I I managed to scribble out I can't twice because I put it on my favorite list and then scribbled it out. Because I said, man, that middle part where I don't like the part where it gets heavy. If that's the 50 year old man and me talking, so what? But it's a great ballad. And then it has that heavy part. And then it goes back to being a gentle ballad again. And it's kind of like, well, that's pardon the expression. It's just kind of dumb. You know, it's like like Andy said, he writes great ballads. Just make it a good, complete ballad. If that would have had a tasty Culex acoustic guitar solo in it instead of going heavy in that spot and then finishing the song off, it would have been perfect. But that, that one part where it goes heavy in the middle of it, that actually got it bumped onto my least favorite list for a while, but that's all I had. So really I don't have a least favorite. Well, uh, now that I mention it, you, uh, you had mentioned the ones that uh, you weren't going to pick for your favorites, Julian. And those two would probably be, uh, it's not breathe, but the other one, the other two you mentioned. Here, I got my track listing here. I can yeah, still it. not black enough, and uh, keep holding on. Yeah, keep holding on. I wasn't very thrilled with. Uh, That's really and, uh, a really deep song for you know. That's like really. I have like a top six, and then there's like three of them that are kind of eh, not bad. Not to quote somebody else, but yeah. It's just, uh, and I don't, I actually took all the covers out of the equation, and I'll go ahead and throw that out now, because I'm not really keen on any of the covers. I think The Real Me is one of the top covers that they did, and we'll get to one of the other better covers that they most recently did on another episode, I hope. But as far as, (laughs) I did the little little greater than sign 
at the bottom of here. And somebody to love is greater than whole lot of Rosie. But whole lot of Rosie is greater than tie your mother down. I didn't know about long way to the top when I did that list. So it's it's at the Somewhat, bottom. Okay, <laughs> it's worse than, than tie your mother down because the thing at tie the thing with tie your mother down that got me is uh, Bob actually produced a Queen tribute CD. And I'm pretty sure that Ingve Malmsteen played on Tie Your Mother Down. And he soloed through the whole damn song. And Bob did the exact same thing on this version. And it's just kind of like, you know, there, there's a rhythm to the verses. There's a melody to the verses. Let the singer sing. You're going to get a solo. You don't have to riff, you know, have to rip through the whole song. But that's what turned me off with, with that one. And the same thing went for the lynch mob version of that. So, but uh, yeah, that's where I was at with my least favorite. Uh, but I did put down that No Way Out is a quintessential Wasp song, and Bob is killing on it because it sounds like No Way Out could be the bridge between Last Command and Headless Children. Mm. Oh no, wait, there was an electric circus in the middle one. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. You know, it could it could have been a good song on Electric Circus. It was a great song. So I really don't have any least favorites other than, I guess I do have two least favorites, but Breathe is one, uh, not one of them. It's the other one. Uh, keep yeah. Holding On. Keep Holding On. Yeah, that's that's probably my least favorite. But every all the rest of them I can kind of deal with. I think Breathe could have been done a little better if they would, you know. Uh, I think then that's one. Uh, Frankie plays a pretty good solid drum part in that, doesn't he, in Breathe? Yeah, I think if he would have turned the, if he just, because I think he's doing a lot of kick drum in that. That was the one that's like, well, if he would have eased up on the kick drum, just did like a like that, it would have been a better. But it sounded like he was almost hitting every, you know, he was hitting the kick drum on almost every beat. But I don't know who's next. <laughs> so. We're going back to Andy for, you know, what is your... Your your favorite of the covers uh, on here, or least favorite? Uh, you got you got four to choose from, don't you? you what? Uh, somebody love. Tie your mother uh, down. I'll I'll, and, just, I'll just take the. <laughs> and the two ACDC songs. No, I'll take the first one. <laughs> you, you you got a whole lot of Blackie. You got so, yeah. uh, it's a long yeah. way to Blackie if you want to rock and roll and tie your uh -oh. Blackie down. And some blackie to love, so somebody, yeah, I, I'm am agreeing with you. Somebody to love, I thought was a fantastic cover version. Tie your mother down, um, didn't do a thing for me, but it wasn't on my album originally, so I was fortunately blessed not to have to suffer through that. I was looking at my album today, I'm like, oh god, it's the American one. Where did that come from? No idea where my original one. I guess it was still in storage in Scotland. If they were uh, looking in the attic, they might find all my stuff up there, which up yours. Um, okay, let's move on to the last couple of questions about this. Sorry, Andy. My least, my least favorite, my as right now I should say right now, but my least favorite actually of the songs. Forget the only covers out, but my least favorite of. The real songs, like, oh, is that I can't. I do not like that song at all. Because 
when you read the words, I never, I never had a bad relationship with my, my mother. So I can't breathe. I can't F. My mother hates me. Bah, bah, bah. Uh-uh. Wrong. See ya. That's, you know, that's, I, I, I can understand your point of view on that. And uh, that's one advantage that's that you had over me is I didn't get to read the lyrics. So, you know, I did get to hear that. Those are pretty clear. You know, I can't breathe. I can't. And all of that. But that, that was, I guess I kind of threw some of the lyrical content out. I kind of went more on the, the music and the melody. But I understand. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. My mother hates me. She never loved me. Uh, OK, I'm out. That's, you know, I, I know, I know, you know, you know, some people who've gone through bad, like, like girlfriend, boyfriend relationships, husband and wives, but mothers and fathers. But I ha- I've had a good relationship with my parents. So and what he says about, you know, my mother never loved me, hated me. I, I, I'm gone. That's it. Done. Bloop. Out. So for me, just, I, t- I take it the other way. I don't think he's actually singing those things. I think he's singing out about someone who's tormented and doesn't feel any of that, even though it's a complete contradiction. I, I, I take take it in a very psychological way. But, you know, you know, a bit know. like Morrison. Well, and it would also fall into the uh, Crimson Idol storyline. Yeah, but it's not yeah. in the storyline. But it, it's not problem. a half. It, let's put it this way. It is not a song I get all giddy about and start singing along to. Nope. I'm with you on that. I'm not singing those lyrics ever. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's whether it's Jim Morrison-esque or whatever, I'm not singing that uh, ever. So. Yeah, I think that's kind of my take on it, too, Julian, if you look at it that way. So that's how I get. Yeah. So that's how I kind of look at it that way, too. Between that, those specific lines and that. I don't know. That's, that's just kind of weird. Especially when we get to the next album. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, we're, we're getting to the end of this discussion about Still Not Black Enough. What could have been better on this album for you? Uh, Bill, I'll get it, start with you on this just as the most recent. Uh, you, you've, you've already said a lot of the things, you know, that you kind of don't like and uh, what you change. But, you know, just summarize it uh, for that question specifically. And I'm glad you went to that because we it actually just ties back to something that Andy, you know, what Andy didn't like about I can't. But first of all, better guitar sound. I understand differentiating between Blackie's guitar and Bob's guitar, but Blackie's guitar, it almost sounded a little too industrial. And that's what was going on. Industrial music was getting heavy in 95, 96. That's what kind of took off after grunge now that we we were asking that earlier. But the one thing it could have done better is... If Blackie had had somebody to tell him to rein it in, because he made a great album with Spencer Proffer being Last Command, and didn't he have production assistance on Headless Children? I think Spencer Proffer was on that one, too. But, I mean, having a good producer to just say, wait a second, dial this back, you don't need... And that's the thing, like, the lines that Andy was referring to about his mother, and I can't. He has two lines about his mother out of three lines because he says something about his mother. Then he says something else. And then he says something else about his mother, like within three or four lines. It's just too close together. If they spread it apart, it may not have been so much of a poke in the eye or whatever. But just having he, he needs some constructive criticism to help dial things in. And then he can still make great records. I mean, this record could have been better if he'd had some production assistance. 
Yeah, and Last Command was the last album he had any production assistance on. Everything else was pretty much all him afterwards. So um, that that kind of says a lot. So I mean, the buck stops with Blackie um, for for Wasp. What he is Wasp after, you know, basically 1985. So um, Andy, for you, uh, I agree with Bill on that on the sound, like it, like. I don't know. It doesn't have that. It's missing like the, even like the drums. You can hear the drums. You hear the guitar, but it's almost like it's not like turned up enough. I don't know. Does that sound right? Sound weird to me? I don't know. The guitar is quite out front. Blackie's guitar is at least. I mean, well, it's actually out. You don't hear any in, bass. Right? In the bass, bass is totally, like I said, totally missing. So, you know, and me again, you know, while there's three different. <laughs> four different versions of the album it's like that's another thing that should have been i mean yeah i get it it's to help sell more more of the album but you got four different versions <laughs> yeah that, i like, actually had that down too a consistent track listing of course you know give japan their bonus tracks they want their bonus track give them a bonus track yeah they could have but breathe. I, worldwide it could have done it could have been the exact same the rest of the way through or just give us all 15, all the way across, whatever it was. Who cares? No, I mean, when you do four covers, it makes more sense to make that an EP. You know, so you, you do your your primary single. So for Japan, there could have been the Still Not Black Enough EP, Black Forever, Goodbye America. The four covers and one B uh, you know, one, you know, demo version from that. And then, boom, there you go. And save them for singles. That's where they belong. Uh, on the B-sides of singles, not on the album proper, other than one cover, and I, I totally agree with that. Um, the production, again, I think that's the, the one thing that does kind of stand out on this album. What I find it missing, even though I do like the overall sonics, are that there is not enough separation between the instruments. I would like the drums to be better layered. Uh, I would like them a little more boomy, you know, and crisp. Um, the guitars, that's the fair criticism of those. I think Bob's perfect. Bob is perfect across the board. Um, every other element could be produced a bit better in, in terms of just overall product. Uh, or maybe that's just, you know, dated sound um, for, for my ears deteriorating over the years. I, I don't think it matters. And, you know, when you talk about production, you know, and what do you like? Was it a good production? It's a very, very subjective thing. Everyone has their own taste of what they like to hear and how they like to hear things and how their brain processes what they're hearing. So uh, um, apart from the fact uh, of if it's like an 87th generation bootleg cassette that sounds like dog vomit, it, it usually is a pointless discussion. Wait. Julian, what exactly does dog vomit sound like? <laughs> um, Miley Cyrus. Okay, point taken. <laughs> or, or whatever that WAP song is that's popular at the moment. Okay. Uh, you know, does that cover it for you? I mean, so my other thing is too. They never toured. That's the other thing. They never toured it. Toured that album, or even the last. You know, last plug. I mean, I saw them. In, the last time I had saw them actually live was in '92, right? From '92 to basically 1997, I never saw Wasp live, and they didn't even play live that I know of. I mean, you could. I, they never played. I never. I don't think they played. Uh, you know, still black enough for the greatest hits overseas. They never toured. I don't think he ever toured in that that those years. Well, then well that's the thing you, is you didn't miss anything. Overseas, he could book five dates and could call it a world tour. 
But I mean, you know, it's not like he's going to go coast to coast in the United States when he knows he can't sell out an arena. You know, yeah, I mean, but still, or even a, even a medium-sized club. Yeah, but that's the other thing that killed him. He, he didn't tour from that. You know, the last thing he said was Crimson Idol. Yeah, that comes, that, that, that comes back to the problem of Blackie Lawless. It was Wasp, so you have to pay your drummer. You know, when you go on the road, the guy who's uh, keeping the beat likes to get paid. The guy who's playing the bass likes to get paid. Your, your other guitarists like to get paid. Oh, and then there's all those useful people who actually uh, bring all your stuff and set it up and make you sound good and do your lights. You can't just re- rely on house to do everything or to even have the right stuff. So the costs, even for low-level touring, are absolutely horrendous and in many cases prohibitive. Yeah, there are little bands that can that can get in a truck or a van and do it. Um, but not when you've played arenas. It becomes more difficult, I think, especially mentally, to be able to do that. And just look at what happened with bands like Union when you had Karabi and uh, Bruce Kulik going back on the road and back into playing for 100 people in a club. It, it did not last. Yeah, but it would have been so cool to see Bob and Frankie and Blackie and... On, on David Letterman, you know, or, or one of those late night access channel shows. Uh, oh, I, yeah. To have seen that lineup actually do some of this material would have been absolutely fantastic. Or, you know, who, who knows if there's any vault video um, of them actually tracking any of this stuff or whether it was black. He did most of it on his own and then brought them in. Again, that whole era is one that kind of fascinates me because this is a great this is kind of like the final step before the precipice of the next album that we're going to be discussing, uh, KFD, <laughs> Ooh, which which in itself is a really kind of interesting <laughs> thing and everything that led up to that one. For me, this was kind of the last traditional Wasp album before that, um, that kind of interruption in some ways. Well, I have to say, I, I know we're going to talk about it in the next podcast, but I love the interruption. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll get there when we get to that album. Yeah. I, I don't know. Let's leave that there for still not blacky <laughs> enough, uh, because yeah. it certainly was. I think it's a great album. Go and check it out. The whole thing's on YouTube. Um, and while you may not be able to afford the $597 LP <laughs> version on Amazon, you can get it on Discogs, the, the the CD for the music. If you want physical product, you can listen to most of the tracks on YouTube for free and probably Spotify. I didn't check, um, you know, so chime in wherever you listen to this on what were your favorites on it? What do you think of the production? Did you use your podcasting headphones to listen or did you use real headphones, audio file, you know, <laughs> while, while sipping, your, so- sipping your absinthe? Did you smear yourself down with mud to listen to it? No, uh, actually, too, there's actually a couple more, there's some more videos out there that are not official videos, but there's a couple more videos that people made up with this album. Uh, you know, uh, they keep holding on to me. I know it wasn't, like, guys' favorites, but somebody actually did a nice videos for that and breathe. They did some nice videos. I mean, there's some, uh, some people got some serious good talent, so there's some uh, videos that actually show the words and, the you know, the meaning behind it, the album. But, uh, yeah, again, I wish they had done more. They, it's not like it's not like I don't think we wanted to be there. They just weren't. He wasn't there. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, here it is. I'm just going to go back to my home and do my, you know, my farming and my cattle or whatever he does, wherever he is out, out in wherever he is in Arizona, wherever he's living. You know what I mean? So, 
Well, well, there you go. You know, the whole idea of doing these conversations about albums is this is a bit of a lost gem in the Wasp catalog um, that maybe people who've lost touch with the band and listened to them in the 80s will have a chance to revisit because we've gotten together to talk about an album today. So let's, let's leave let's leave that all there before the dog vomit comes out. You don't want the sound of that at the end. Um, so for now, from Bill, from Andy, and myself, thanks for joining us on the Wasp Chat on the Buckets Rock and Roll Podcast. Take care. Bye, buddy. <laughs> Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. <laughs>